You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Good morning. It's good to worship with you all this morning. It's such, a, it's such beautiful weather. I love coming to church, um, like weather like this, and I'm always tempted to teach our catechism class outside, and I hear all of the grumblings of like, it's too cold, but just remember how hot it gets in the summer here. We should really like enjoy the cold while we have it. Um, well, as a pastor's kid, I grew up in the church. Many of you may not know that, but I was a pastor. I still am a pastor's kid. And I remember sitting in my dad's office after the service all the time. Um, in fact, it was the same, whoa, there we go, how's that? It was the same office, the same church office in Utah where uh, Mr. Fulton used to preach at a military base up there when, uh, in, in, uh, Ogden, near Ogden, Hill Air Force Base. Um, in my dad's office, I would find this, I would find things to do. And one of the things I would find to do is this gold covered Bible. If, I don't know if some of y'all remember these Bibles, it's called the Good News Bible. And it has like this gold cover and it has the, like the coolest 1970s design on the cover. And the reason I loved this Bible is um, because it had pictures, like these 1970s era sketches of Bible stories. As a child, this was so helpful to me. It was so interesting. It brought it alive, even little sketches. Now you need like VR for kids to be engaged with like Bible stories. But for the, us back then, um, even little pencil sketches of Bible stories would bring it alive, help us see what the Bible was saying, what it meant. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, what in the world does this mean, right? Well, these pencil sketches for me, it helped me see what the Bible was meaning, what was going on. Without those pictures, I would just stare at the page and think, this must not be for me because I have no idea what's going on here. What does this mean? If I ask for a show of hands in this room of those who feel comfortable explaining the meaning of the Bible, I would get some hands, right? I mean, maybe a few hands, ambitious people. I don't know if I'd raise, I would raise, I think I would, I would have to raise my hand, I'm a priest, right? And if I asked someone here to come up and read all the texts that we just read this morning, just the ones this morning, and said, tell us what these texts mean, um, maybe we'd get fewer hands, like, uh, kind of, I could tell you what this one meant or that one, but what do they all mean together? We'd get fewer hands. Some of you would come up here and say, well, look, this is what the text means, this is what that passage means to me. And that's important, that's helpful. But still another thing to ask, what does this passage, what do these scriptures mean in the whole scheme of God's grand plan? What a different task that would be. Reading the Bible is one thing, interpreting it, understanding it, like we're talking about in our catechism class right now, is complicated, it's, it's tough. It's not so straightforward all the time. And in fact, history has shown us, if you're any student of church history or just like been alive, scripture has regularly been misinterpreted and misunderstood and misapplied in people's lives. And it's been really damaging. It's been really hurtful when we do this wrong. And even still, the postmodern turn of philosophy argues, hey, it's not even really possible to know what any of it really means. What it means to you is one thing, but what it means to me is another thing. And who's to say who's right here, philosophy the current age might say that. And there's still yet one more position of people that would say, look, Sean, I got you beat, bro. I don't even have to interpret the Bible. I could just read the words on the page plainly as it is, and I'll tell you what it means. 
I don't need any interpretation. But all reading is interpretation. Come to my catechism class. There's your last plug for it. But it's so fun and, and complex and beautiful. The point of all this is not to scare us away from interpreting and reading the Bible and understanding its meaning. Not at all. The point is this. Accessing the meaning of Scripture is difficult. So if you open the Bible and you don't have pencil sketches to show you pictures of things, which is totally fine. Most of us don't. And you think, this is hard. You're in good company. I feel that way every week when I'm preparing these passages to preach to you all. Lord, what does this mean? This is not straightforward sometimes. But we can't shy away from actually accessing the meaning of Scripture. We can't just say, well, that's for the priest to do. This is too difficult. I'm going to take a step back. I'm not a scholar. You, you're not allowed to do that. You, you can't. Because your Christian life depends on a reading of Scripture and an accessing of its meaning in your own life. So we're caught, right? Scripture is hard to understand at times. Sometimes it's really straightforward. We just don't want to understand it the way it actually means because it's really inconvenient or it challenges us. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes it's really complex. And yet we need it as Christians to grow and thrive and live. So what do we do? This morning, I want to spend some time stirring up in us a fresh appetite for our diet of Scripture. Maybe you've never had an appetite for Scripture. At least then I want to stir up a, a curiosity for you. Interesting. I never thought about it that way. I might open it up and take a look for myself. But I want to stir up this appetite and this curiosity over Scripture, not for Scripture's sake itself, but for one very, very basic point, and it's this. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. As Jerome has wisely said. It's a simple, straightforward idea. If you want to know Jesus, you have to read Scripture. You have to know him in word and sacrament. Even up here, you may have never noticed this before, but we, we say this without saying it. In word and in sacrament. We have the gospel book, the gospel book which is the words of Jesus given to us. So we have to know him in the word written, but we also come to know him in the word given in his body and blood in the sacrament. If you want to know Jesus, it's not some sort of intellectual, hyper-spiritual thing that like monks do at some monastery far away, or if you're like ninja Christian status, you've gotten to that level or something. No, no, no. It's way simpler than that. If you want to know Jesus, you know him in word and sacrament, and you can know him in word and sacrament. If you were to evaluate your relationship with Jesus based on how much time you explore scripture looking for him, what would that turn up? Let's take a minute to think about that. When's the last time you wasted a bunch of time in the Bible wandering around in the Gospels? Sitting on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus thinking, Jesus, that was a crazy story. What was that all about? Or maybe even getting into trouble with the mystery of the prophets and the judges and the kings or the creation story. Or, geez, look at Genesis. It's packed full of super interesting things. When's the last time you've spent a great deal of time sorting through David's prayers in the Psalms and making them your own, praying them yourself? The time that we spend in Scripture is not just time um, studying words, but it's a time knowing Christ. And if we want to know Jesus, we will find him there. 
We have to spend time in Scripture. And wherever you look in the Bible, if you ask what it means and if you keep digging, you'll eventually find your way deeper and deeper into the truth that it means Jesus. All of Scripture, even back in the Old Testament, parts of you are like, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus? Actually, when you read in its full sense, in its canonical sense, you will find that all of Scripture is pointing you in a direction to meet a person. To find the meaning, the fulfillment of all these things in Jesus. And just like those pictures in that gold-covered Good News Bible in my dad's office, when we look at the still-living Jesus, we find a picture of what all of Scripture means, where it all leads. Um, This isn't just me saying this. Again, I have found this in Scripture. We heard it this morning. Jesus says so himself. In Luke 4, our our gospel reading this morning, the story begins, Jesus uh, tells us that Jesus was filled with the power of the Spirit, on his way, traveling back to his hometown synagogue where he grew up, where he was taught the scriptures, where he memorized the Psalms of David. And he arrives at the synagogue, and guess what? He's the guest preacher. I wondered if he just showed up and they said, hey, you're preaching today? You know, that, that's probably how it went down. So Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He's taken up the greatest hits of all Old Testament prophecies in the, in the scroll of Isaiah. This is like one of the top ten for sure. There's not that many, but you know, there, there is. But Isaiah is like, oh, he's going to preach on this well-known, huge prophet. Whoa, what's, what's going to happen here? He finds a particular passage in the scroll, chapter 61, and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is reading from the scroll rolls it back up, hands it to the attendant, the acolyte, and goes to sit. And after the rabbi sits, after the reading of the scroll, everyone's waiting for the teaching. So scripture tells us all eyes are on him. Like, you gonna preach? You gonna say something about this? What does it mean? Tell us what it's saying. Verse 21, it says, Jesus began to say to them, time out. This must have been the shortest sermon of all time. It was like one sentence, and that's pretty impressive. But Jesus stands to preach, and he says to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? What what does that mean? I'm confused. The year of the Lord's favor is now. This is happening in Jesus. Are you saying that you are the fulfillment of this famous passage in Isaiah? Jesus is either being clever or cheeky or he is stunningly brilliant and he knows exactly what he's saying. I think he's brilliant. He's saying that he is the meaning of the reading. To be fair, not in some sort of like extra special spiritual way, he just uh, was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit. That just happened. And so when he opens up the scroll and reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, he was literally just anointed by the power of the spirit. The idea that there would be a time when all would be set right, when debts would be forgiven, 
When slaves would be set free, when blind would be healed, the oppressed go free, a time when the goodness of God would come to rest gently on all of creation and all people, restoring it to the life it was meant for. That time that everybody has been waiting for, Jesus is saying, that time has finally come in me. That's a lot to process. And so you can imagine the synagogue, mic drop moment, This just got real. Some in the synagogue may have reacted like those in our Old Testament reading in Nehemiah who were happy to hear the scriptures read by Ezra saying, amen, amen, and lifting up their hands. Yes, this is awesome. We've been waiting for this. Finally, it's good to meet you. And still others who weren't so happy that we read wanted him out of town. They wanted to drive him out. And Jesus would respond later like, look, prophets aren't even welcome in their own hometown. How do we react when we hear Jesus say something so audacious? Do we say, amen, amen, lifting up our hands, God, thank you? Or do we say, get out of my town, (laughs) this is too much? How do we react? And for us, it's not just um, a religious story, but it's a story of a first century Jew who stood up in a synagogue in Palestine 2,000 years ago, announcing that God's kingdom, reign, and rule had finally arrived, even then. So it even feels a little bit more distant for us. And to say that God's reign and rule had come and 2,000 years ago and it was wrapped up in Jesus, for some of us, this just may be one step too far off for us to really get a hold of and believe. How are we supposed to wrap our head around that? Another way to put this is Jesus' announcement, in other words, was this greatest opportunity ever given to human beings to see what God was doing because it involved the renewal of our own lives. Like the lives we have now, Jesus was saying then, I've come to fulfill that life. So it's not just something out there on the shelf that we put in the church category, but Jesus in his standing up in the synagogue is saying something about your life. The renewal that you long for, the plan that God has for your life, it's fulfilled in him. Can we believe this? Christian Pulisic, likely one of the greatest soccer players of all time yet to be discovered, has been discovered. It's a young American prodigy soccer player, football as we like to call it, recently purchased by the greatest soccer team in the world. This is all my opinion. This isn't in the Bible, but it's a pretty good opinion. The greatest soccer team in the English Premier League will just say Chelsea. Go blue. I wonder what it would be like for him as now he's coming from the Bundesliga, this German soccer league, entering into Chelsea's locker room for the first time maybe. Feeling the gravity, the smells, the like, oh man, how amazing must that be? To walk into their story and to join it, become a part of that team, to identify with such a great championship legacy. Wow. Maybe you've walked into locker rooms before. Have you ever walked into like a pro locker room and thought, I shouldn't be here. This is amazing. Or maybe it's an important political office you've walked into. Maybe you've met someone really, really important or someone really famous, and you could just feel the floor kind of drop out and the gravity of the situation you're entering. And in that moment, you're like, I want to be identified with that legacy. I'm on the team. I want to be part of that people, that community, that story, that movement. 
My first job, I remember walking into Hewlett Packard thinking, I have arrived. Check this place out. They got a soccer field and like a masseuse on site. This is amazing. I remember feeling that way. Well, think about this. When Jesus walks into the synagogue and announces that he is fulfilling God's story, the gravity of that situation surpasses by far every other story, every other important thing that's ever happened in human history. Jesus is saying the time has come. It's me. And in that room, we realize something really important is happening here. And we are being invited into it. We don't even have to, to, to want to get in. Jesus is saying, it's me, I'm here, and I'm already among you. You're with me. There's not a more important person in history to know than Jesus. There's not a more important or powerful place to be than in his presence. There's no better story than the story of God's kingdom that he is now announcing among us. And he invites us to be his cooperative friends in this story. Come into the locker room. Step into this office. This is the power of God unleashed in the world to renew the face of all of creation. He invites us to become not just bystanders, people looking through the windows going, wow, that's really cool. But he wants us to be his apprentices, his own friends to join him in this work, to make his story our story, that when people get to know us, they're really getting to know someone who is really deeply involved in this kingdom announcement that Jesus has already brought about. Friends, you and I, we get to enter into the gravity of the situation and learn a totally different way of living, a way of being a human in the world, a, a way of navigating life in a completely different way, a reality that is God-steeped. A life that is filled with God's provisions. A life that is guided by God's timing. Everything on his terms. A peace that comes about only by God's peace and his reconciliation. And a justice that isn't us just feeling like agitated, but it is the justice of God coming to the earth. This is the story that we're being invited into. This is the story that all of creation, all of history has been longing for. As the as psalmist says, even the heavens spill forth knowledge of him, this one who's come to fulfill God's plans, to set all things right, to show us how to truly live. And this life is one that isn't, um, how do I say this? This life isn't some sort of like religious exercise that makes us, okay, make sure you're part of table groups and Bible studies and Sunday school and Sunday service and do all these like missionary efforts. And not this like overpacked burdensome life, but the life that Jesus, and those are great things by the way, but the life that Jesus is inviting us into is to first just take notice of him and come close to him and let, us te let him teach us how to live this free not oppressed, but this very full of life, free, unburdened, very forgiven and set free to live kind of life. It's a gentle yoke that comes to us that Jesus gives. And only he can teach us this way to live. And he does that even more this morning, calling to us, follow me. The best news of all about this, let's just say this is all true. Let's just say that Jesus is even now whispering to you, follow me, become my disciple. The best part of this is we won't miss out. We don't have to be afraid of not getting something right here and missing out on God's invitation. We don't have to be uptight about the rules. We don't even need to lose sleep over making something great and holy of our lives. 
or worry, worry about like, man, I'm really screwing things up right now in my life. Because he knows our needs more than we do. Because he is the meaning of all of life who has come to fulfill those things. He is the one who takes up the scroll of Isaiah and promises to fulfill all of its meaning, not you. Not you. He is worthy of our greatest trust to show us who we really are, to show us how to really live. Thank God that he is worthy and that this isn't up for us just to sort of figure out. But to see him and to respond to him, friends, I'm just gonna be honest with you, you have to take your focus off yourself and you have to see him. To receive him, you've gotta stop worrying about getting all of your needs met. Having your way, being in control of things, making sure things happen a certain way. Instead of all of that, you just get to receive this gracious and gentle care of God, inviting you into discipleship as a friend, as a follower, as an apprentice. This morning, Jesus takes up the scroll again in our presence, and he announces that he is the meaning of God's plan of salvation. That's not the only thing he takes up. He takes up bread, and he says, this is my body. The Lord takes up wine. He says, this is my blood. And in the celebration of Holy Eucharist, even you are being taken up and saying, you are my beloved. Follow me. I so hope that we can see the gravity of the situation that we have this morning. The Lord offering himself to us and saying, follow me the gravity of that. Let's prepare our hearts as we join Jesus in his renewing movement of all the world. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.